Okay. Okay. Ready to clap? She's rolling. One. Wait, wait. You got oh. it. <laughs> Sorry, that was not the right one. One, two, three. No. It's, it's, it's okay. It's close enough that I can get it. It wasn't perfect, but we got it. Um, <clears throat> I suddenly got nervous. There are no stakes to this at all. Oh my god. Don't feel now I'm nervous. No, don't be nervous. This is fun. <laughs> um, I'm nervous because I'm supposed to be the one like leading us along. Okay. Hey, you're doing great. Thank you. Ready? Yeah. Here we go. <clears throat> Hi everybody and welcome to Musicals Reviewed, the podcast where we break down and review pro shot and movie musicals. I'm your host Natalie. And I'm your host Emma. On this show, we will break down the plot of the musicals we're watching and insert our opinions wherever we feel like it. Each week, I will post on Instagram what we're going to be reviewing on the pod, so if you want to watch along with us, you can join us. And with that, no, I'm going to pause there. Okay. No, no, no. First, 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 I'd like to give a quick, brief background as to how Natalie and I know each other. It's a cute, uh, cute story. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) it's a funny story so Natalie and I went to school together we went to college together and freshman year we had dorms across the hall from each other (laughs) and (laughs) I I mean I don't think we had like even seen each other before this I just remember I think it was the first night it was like orientation night And I was, like, trying to find a water fountain in our dorm because it was actually really weird. Like, the water fountain was all the way down the hall. Like, there was only one, like, on the floor, I think. But anyways, um, I was like, oh, do you know where, like, a water fountain is? And she was like, oh, I don't know, but you can just use my water filter. And I was like, oh, no, it's cool. Like, I'll just, you know, fill up in the sink or something. And she's like, no, 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 no here, here, come use my water filter. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Listen, I was nervous and trying to make a friend, and the water in this town is terrible, so I was just saving you from drinking shit. I mean, water. you knew it better than I did. I never give a shit about water. I'm not a filtered water person, so I just don't care. But, like, that's fair. I get it. Like, I should be more concerned. <laughs> but, yes... That is how I just think met. it's really funny. And then actually after that, the rest is history because uh, we were like really good friends. There were like a group of four of us. Um, but Natalie and I are still pretty close. Yeah, we're still we're still hanging out, still pals. Obviously, if we're doing this pod together. I feel like that takes a certain level of friendship to like commit to this kind of a project with each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. And with that fun little story of how Emma and I met, let's kick off the next musical we're doing today, The Greatest Showman. So (laughs) I've only seen this one other time, and the first time and only other time I've watched it, I did not remember being impressed at all. But Emma loves this musical. so Yeah, I, on the other hand, um, I have seen this musical, like, I can't even count how many times. I was obsessed with it. Like, obsessed with it. I would listen to Rewrite the Stars on repeat. We'll get into that once we do our play-by-play because there's a specific part of that song that I, like, was obsessed with. Um, Like, gets you every time. No, but I think it's going to surprise you where where I was, like, 
anyways, anyways, anyways. But um, I was like obsessed with this musical. And I don't know. I just loved it. I thought it was so good. Okay, well, I do have to say, <laughs> after watching it, I my opinion of it has shifted a little bit, and I do appreciate it more, um, especially knowing some of the reasons why you love it so much. I appreciate it more. Um, <laughs> I just think it has, like, a, a powerful message. A lot of the songs, there's more reasons. We'll get into that with, like, more of our information, facts, all that stuff, I'll share my reasoning, okay? I also have some of the issues with the way they go about their message, but we can get into that. I mean, fair. We'll get to that, too. Yeah. In case you need a recap of what this musical is about, here's an intro for you of what we'll be discussing today. Our story starts with P.T. Barnum's circus show in all its glory. We are shown the glitz, the glamour, and excitement of his show and all the people in the troupe that bring it to life. And then... At the end of the song, we suddenly fade from the noise of the show, and P.T. Barnum standing in the middle of all the applause, soaking up the glory, to very young P.T. Barnum, working as a humble tailor's apprentice. We are going to get a rags-to-riches story, heavily modified, I might add, of P.T. Barnum's circus and how he became the greatest showman. Real quick, can I just say, I don't, from what I was reading, there is no rags-to-riches story for P.T. Barnum. Like in real life? In real life. Like, he was not poor. His parents didn't die, from what I read. So, this was, like, complete fabrication. Like, he had two living parents. There was no mention of, like, oh, okay, anyways, anyways. Well, I mean, they fabricated a lot of things for this musical, so that feels on entire. It's basically a work of fiction. Yeah, we just took P.T. Barnum, yeah, and the fact that he had a circus, and running with it. So before we continue on, uh, I want to mention that we will be spoiling this entire musical. So if you think right now that you'd like to watch it, stop listening, go watch it, and then come back and give this episode a listen. All right. Now, Emma has done some research and gathered some musical facts for us for this movie um, and also some fun facts about filming and actors. So Emma, take it away. Okay. This musical, movie musical, it was not a Broadway show. Um just a you know anyone who doesn't know that it was just a movie um apparently there was talk of it becoming a broadway show at some point but um no follow through anyways um okay so this was this was written by jenny bix and bill condon so a little backstory how this all came about in 2009 okay wait let me find my so in 2009 um Bill Condon was like rehearsing the Academy Awards with Hugh Jackman and he compared Hugh Jackman to P.T. Barnum I guess like the way that he was like presenting Is that or whatever. a compliment? <laughs> I don't know I think I think like in the way that it was like you know he's being a showman like a very I don't know I have no idea I mean we know how Hugh Jackman played the role so I guess that yeah it is a compliment Hugh Jackman was like, oh my god, I would love to play that role. So 2009 is when this like um, kind of came to life. Uh, and Jenny Bix was hired to write the original script. Bill Condon did like, uh, what's it called? He like edited the script from what I read. So a little uh, background on Jenny Bix. She's most notably known for writing for Sex and the City. She has also written for... Men in Trees, Leap of Faith, What a Girl Wants. Have you ever seen What a Girl Wants? No. Amanda Bynes. Oh, okay. That alone, I'm sold. And then Bill Condon, he has written or directed 
for Gods and Monsters, Dream Girls, the movie, Chicago, the movie, Beauty and the Beast, the movie. So he's done a ton of movie musicals. Also, fun fact, Twilight Breaking Dawn 1 and oh my 2. God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun fact. I have not seen either of those. I've only seen the first Twilight. I have seen... Um, I actually watched the entire trilogy or all four movies. Um, okay, so music. Music is by, drumroll, Pasek and Paul. I, okay, I love Pasek and Paul. My original love for them is actually Dogfight, which was never on Broadway. It's a off-Broadway show. Um, they've also scored for A Christmas Story, Dear Evan Hansen. Again, one of my faves. Again, controversial subject. It also just closed on Broadway. I know. So sad. And they currently are producers for a Strange Loop, which is currently running on Broadway. Uh, that's cool. I didn't which know I did that. not know that. So they've got a nice little repertoire. Um, director. The director was Michael Gracie. This was his directorial debut. He has not directed anything since, but... He is slated to direct for the film adaption of Naruto. Cool. But he has previously, his like previous experience was in the like visual effects world. Um, this show is never on Broadway. There were rumors, um, but like literally I saw some articles that were like, they've been greenlit for a musical, but it's 2022. And these were articles from like 2018. So that's don't think that's true. What's really interesting about the show is it actually received like really poor ratings from critics. Not really poor, like, like 48% or like a three out of five. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 56%. However, I feel like it did get pretty good reviews from, like, actual viewers. Like, not critics. Not people, like, in the industry, but plebes like us. Do you have any, like, standout trivia? No, you're good. No, honestly, that's basically it. Okay, notable actors. Hugh Jackman playing P.T. Barnum. Like I said, he was the one who, like, basically brought this into existence some interesting facts about him he actually originally studied communications and he spent his gap year as a phys ed teacher could you imagine having Hugh Jackman for PE was offered his first role in Australian TV um he did some local Australian theater he was in a West End production of Oklahoma wait um his most what? Did you know that he played Gaston in Beauty and the Beast somewhere on stage? Yes, that, that actually was in my notes somewhere, and I must have, like, not copied it over. I don't, I'm not going to keep this in the pod. He's not a very good singer. I don't think he is. Really? I don't mind his voice. It's not, like, his, his vocal quality is okay. I feel like he doesn't know how to use his range well, so a lot of it just okay. sounds forced. His most notable roles, as most people know, Wolverine, he was in the X-Men series, he was also in Van Helsing, The Prestige, Les Mis. I guess he's got a passion for the musical theater and the movie musicals. Moving on through the cast, Michelle Williams. She played Charity Barnum. She is known for Dawson's Creek, Brokeback Mountain, Blue Valentine. Have you ever seen that one? I have not, but I'm waiting for you to get to the one I want you to say. Oh, Manchester by the Sea, My Week with Marilyn. Fosse Verdon. There we go. Fosse Verdon. Yeah, that actually was a great, like, miniseries. Yes. So good. Didn't she win an award for it? I don't know, but she did an incredible job. 
Oh, and it came out, like, right after I graduated from theater college, so it was, like, yes. what my soul needed. Um, also, she did have some, she does have some Broadway uh, credits. She was in the Cabaret Revival. Um, and she also, I think she, let me check. It says it was a Tony-winning production of Cabaret. Okay, so it won a, a Tony in some way. Yeah, she did play Sally Briss. Okay, well, that would be who she would play in that. I mean, I would have assumed, that's who I thought, but I didn't want to, like, say it. Can confirm she did win an Emmy for Fosse Verdon. I love her work. I think she does a great job in every role that I've seen her in, so. Next up, Zac Efron. Of course. Playing. Philip Carlyle. Before Zac Efron was in High School Musical, he actually did have a recurring role on the first season of a show called Summerland. I've never heard of this. I mean, I've never heard of that, but I was like, I really thought his first role, I mean, how would I know, though? We were like, what, 12? Oh, Emma, we were like eight. We were so young. Yeah, we were. Um, Then he was obviously High School Musical Series. That's where we all know and love him from. He was in Hairspray. Um, After that, he was in 17 again, which don't, don't even get me started. I fucking love 17. That movie, I really had a crush on him in that movie. I will say that, okay? Well, fair. Um, okay, he was also in New Year's Eve, The Lorax. Oh, who was he in The Lorax? Wait, was he the boy with, like, the, the sweater? Like, the main the main kid? Yeah, he was the guy. He was, like, the, the boy. The, I think the lead, the lead boy, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, that would make sense. He played Ted in The Lorax. He was also in The Lucky One, Charlie St. Cloud, Neighbors, Dirty Grandpa, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Did you ever watch that? That was the Ted Bundy series. Oh, no. I don't watch things about serial killers. I, that, I don't need to see that. Well, I also like, feel like we're glorifying serial killers. Like, No, like, I agree. Like, are we not learning our lesson here? Like, no, because it gets views. <sighs> also, he has this really sweet... Um, Netflix documentary called Down to Earth with Zac Efron. Yeah, that's all for Zac Efron. On to Zendaya. We love her. The celebrity crush. You can't see it, but Emma's doing a little, a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna out you to the pod. Listen. You're dancing. Is there a more beautiful woman? I'll wait. I can't, well, no one came to mind, so nope. Zendaya's like... Wow, so beautiful. I think we can all um, attribute that. But also, she just literally is talented in every area. Singing, dancing, acting, modeling. Like, she fucking slays in everything she does. A few things she's in. Of course, she made her start. Are you going to talk about Shake It Up? Is that where you're going with yes. this? Shake It Up. Zendaya's debut. Um, did you ever watch that show? Uh, yes, I did. I did watch that one. I think we all did. Oh, yeah, it was good. After that was still in another Disney show until like somewhat recently. It was called Casey Undercover. I never watched that. It was beyond my time. Um, she also was in Dancing with the Stars, which she was incredible in. Like she did a season of that. She was in the Disney the Disney movie Frenemies. Yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> Obviously, the Spider-Man movies. We don't. We won't go into how much I love um, the role she plays. Just that movie series in general. That would be a whole episode in and of itself of an entirely different thing. I say everybody needs to watch those fucking movies. They're so good. Euphoria. She was in Dune, Malcolm and Marie. Okay, what's important to add about Zendaya is that she has won two Emmys for her role as Rue in Euphoria. 
Um, I mean, she does a great job of playing that role. It is so well done. Euphoria fucks me up when I watch it. It's just so good. Like, you can't help but be, like, emotionally drawn into these people's lives. But, I mean, she does an incredible job, and I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so finally, we'll get on to Jenny Lind, the opera singer. All right. So this role is played by Rebecca Ferguson and sung by Lauren Allred. Did you know that they're two different people? I did not. I have a lot of feelings about that. First of all, Rebecca Ferguson, I think Rebecca Ferguson is a really amazing actress. Um, She has been in a, a show or movie called Naya Tider, Drowning Ghost. Um, She was in the Mission Impossible movies. I think she's a great actress. Like from what I have seen her in, she does a great job. I wouldn't have guessed. I feel like the voices sounded similar enough. Um, And also, I will say, like, Rebecca, she, like, credits Lauren for her amazing work, like, singing, singing for the character. And she um, actually worked, Rebecca herself worked with a vocal coach for, like, a month before shooting because she wanted to be able to, like, embody the, like, how you would sing as an opera singer. Um, So Lauren Allred, she actually does not have a lot of, like, um, song or, like, show credits um, she was on season three of The Voice. I I don't know if she won or not. I did not put that down. Um, but I think that's how she got this, possibly. I I could be wrong. I don't feel like she's gotten the credit she deserves because she has a beautiful voice. Right. Like, probably, big claim, but one of my favorite voices in this movie. Oh, okay. Um, okay, real quick, here's my take. Um, I find it a little frustrating when it's a movie musical, like it's a musical, and you hire somebody else to play like a singing voice, and somebody, like, I think that's really weird. But that's also been like a thing that's happened in movie musicals for a really long time. Like My Fair Lady, that's not um, Audrey Hepburn singing. Really? Did you not know that? No, I didn't. I actually, I don't know if I've had, I've actually seen that. <gasps> okay, well, maybe I'll add this to to the list of movie music. Yeah, please do, because I love Audrey Hepburn. Um, okay, that's all I've got for cast. So we can move on to our play-by-play. Are you ready to get into the musical? All right, here we go. Pause for a drink break. So now that we've got some movie trivia under our belts, let's dive into the movie itself. So we, open we open with a banger of a number, banger the greatest number, show. The greatest. And uh, basically the point of this number is just kind of introducing basically where we end up at the end. Um, and it shows us kind of we're setting up this origin story of how young P.T. Barnum ends up being who we see at the beginning um, as the greatest showman. So uh, some thoughts on the opening number. Uh, I think the build through the opening credits is nice. To that first, like, ladies and gents, this is a moment you're waiting for. Like, I was like, okay, I, f- I feel the suspense. I'm, I'm ready yes, for it. Yes, you feel the energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have to, one thing that cracked me up is the CGI horses coming in on beat, which is so aggressive in the corner of the camera. Um, what are your thoughts on this first number, Emma? Um, I really like this number. I think it's, like, the classic, like, opening number, like, full cast. You know, like, in a classic musical, I feel like it's, like, Everyone in the cast is in the opening number. They're, like, introducing you to all the characters. I mean, obviously, nobody else has a solo. But it's, like, you're getting the picture of, like, what this show is going to be about. Yeah, I like it. I think it's great. And I think it's, like, it's, like, you can feel the energy. Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. Every time I 
like start the movie, I get really excited. And I actually forgot that this was like, I haven't watched this in a while. I know I said I've seen it a million times, but it's been like probably a year since I've watched it last. And so, you know, I got it fresh eyes, Um, but I loved it. Then we go from this like hype and this energy and this build and like applause. And then all of a sudden it all just like fades out to nothing. And PT uh, transitions into the young version of himself. I don't know. He's like 10 to 12 years old. Very, very wee lad. Um, and I didn't realize this until after I'd finished the movie. I wrote, he's working for a tailor, just a small boy with big dreams. And then I was like, oh, that's his dad. Like, literally, I don't think they established that well. I just thought he was a tailor's apprentice. <laughs> he takes care of him, though. Like, he's But I mean, like, if, if I were, if that was like, because like apprentices back then, right? Like, they, they, like, when they were kids, they relied on, on like, the person they were working for to like, um, like feed and house them and, and especially being a kid so I was just like okay. this is the person taking care of him and I think he's an orphan so this is like the father figure in his life I like very much misread this situation yeah but we open up on on him him and his dad <laughs> which I figured out um are going to like do some fittings for someone else in the town um we find another um young person uh about his age sitting in a dining room nearby um and it will be his future wife and she's getting etiquette lessons from her mom i guess and he's like goofing around no i don't think it's her mom i thought it was like a maid see i don't know i got this all messed around i think it's like they the help is showing her etiquette or they brought in like a manners like i mean they're like these like wealthy ass people so like i would assume like why would a woman of that like class level be teaching her daughter you know valid point so anyways um he's going with his dad the tailor uh to like fit some dude for a suit and meets his future wife at the table getting etiquette lessons and drinking tea he gets her into trouble goofing around and then her dad is about to like ground her send her up to room or something and he's like no it was my fault sir and then her dad slaps him fucking slaps him rude as hell okay but can i say I know he was trying to be a gentleman, but what a fucking idiot. Yeah. You are the child of a tailor. Your dad is the fucking help. You could be losing this guy's business. Right. Also, you have no, like, protection with your social status. Yeah. So then her dad is like, stay away from my daughter. He goes to the beach to pout, and the little girl (laughs) comes to meet him. Um, Charity is her name. And they start singing together, and we segue into A Million Dreams. He, like, takes her to this house, which is important later, becomes the house that they will buy once they have money one day. Um, Emma has thoughts. I just think this number is so magical. And I just think when they go into this, like, old rundown house, and he's, like, showing her, I just think it's so, like... This is, like, how I lived my life as a child. Like, I had this wild imagination. So I think for me, it was, like, very, like, like reminiscent of my childhood days. Because, like, we would always, like, we had a lot of imagination like that. And I just, I think it's so precious. Like, it is it is a very endearing number. And so, like, we kind of get the vibes from the song that, like, oh, they're kids falling in love. Like, first love, kind of, like, kid crush and you know that like he's gonna end up with her um she gets sent off to boarding school in this number and um 
he also, his father passes away. A lot happens in this song. His father passes away, um, and he has no one to care for him, so he ends up homeless while she's at boarding school. They were writing letters back and forth. Um, did this bother you? The fact that when Charity gets sent off to boarding school, he drops all of that fabric on the ground. Oh my that's probably like God. thousands of dollars worth of fabric that's ruins now. I was, I mean, it's a beautiful, like, cinematic, cin- cinematic moment. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> no, it is beautiful. It did bother me. Um, guys, as somebody who literally went into, like, fucking major debt for their fucking senior collection that much fabric like that's an entire roll of fabric and there were like five or six of those he was holding yeah I'm like oh poor baby um as his father I would be like are you fucking serious if you ruin that fabric think of all the like dirt the like water stains especially if that's like high quality fabrics like Oh my god. PT is this poor homeless boy. And then, okay, this is where I, I have an issue. But okay. he's, he's sitting on the streets. He tries to steal some bread and it doesn't work out. He doesn't have any food. And someone comes and offers him an apple. It's very sweet. And it's a girl with a deformed face. But the way that they frame this plot-wise, it's like, I just think it was done so poorly of like, I don't know. I feel like it. it's just like, this act of kindness feels like the impetus for him to start his circus later and it's like yeah it feels like misplaced gratitude to me okay but not in like a satirical way it just feels like i don't know something about it just sits wrong with me and i can't describe it i actually was noticing that too when i was watching i was like "Mm, this feels a little wrong because to me he to me it feels like he's like oh I don't know. It feels like he's, like, seeing this person who is, like, disabled or has, like, visual differences, and he's, like, oh, wow, what a, what does he call them? Like, he calls them. Later, he calls them um, macabre and, like, freaks or something. I have a note about that later. I don't think he says freaks. I feel like he tried to steer, I'm sure, the real P.T. Barnum. I mean, guys, the real P.T. Barnum is a piece of shit. I won't even go into what he has done, but like actually horrible things. So let's not glorify... The fact that we're like making the movie glorifying this when like most of this is fiction, like why did we not just choose a fictional name? Okay, I'm trying to see because I I actually have a quote from later in the movie that I was like, okay, wow. Exotic and macabre. You are a fucking prick. So to me, like, this moment is kind of like, he's like, oh, wow, how, like, interesting. But it's like, yeah, it feels weird. I think it feels weird, too. Like, like, you know, like, this act of kindness, like, because later in the movie, he looks at an apple and, like, gets an idea after his kids are like, you need something alive, like a unicorn or a mermaid, like fake creatures. And he's like, I'm going to go find real people that look different. And I'm going to exploit them to make money. And I think that's what bothers me is, like, this is the moment that, like, starts that. And it's like, oh, I think the movie is trying to, like, romanticize this. And, like, we're supposed to, like, love this moment. But it just didn't hit me that way. I mean, they have a lot of misplaced, uh, like, their intentions aren't, intentions? intentions aren't, yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't think that they meant for it to be problematic. I think it was done in a genuine way. I mean, in 
but that doesn't make it better playing this movie it's gonna be a little problematic because like he is presenting people as like freaks of nature or like exotic um for money you know he is exploiting their differences for money. he's profiting off of their exploitation yeah he so he gets this apple from this woman and then uh, we move on he ends up joining the railroad to make money goes away he comes back as an adult. Now we have Hugh Jackman version of P.T. Barnum, no longer small child. And he comes back to ask for Charity's hand in marriage as a grown-up. And her dad, <laughs> like, lets her go with him. But he's like, she'll be back. Charity's dad lets her go with P.T., even though he seems very against this entire thing. And they do this, like, cutest little dance number. And he, like, proposes at the end. Yeah. It is really cute. And then at the end, they do a twirl and she's pregnant also i thought it was i just thought that this was like beautiful the the little dance on the rooftop the choreography is so good um so yeah we move along they're married now they have a little apartment they're having a baby um very cute we've like established the early stages of their relationship and now we cut to pt at work he's an accountant which does not feel like it aligns with his song about a million dreams (laughs) does not so he is an accountant, and it doesn't feel right for the vibes, but that's okay because his company shuts down. R.I.P. Um, he loses his job and uh, goes home to his wife to break the bad news to his family. Um, so then we get this cute cut to the roof of their apartment, same apartment that was at the end of the last number we just watched, and we see P.T.'s two kids playing with Charity. It's so cute the way they're playing. <laughs> I'm like, I hope I'm that kind of mom. Right? Um, So we see their apartment is not, like, in the greatest of shapes. Like, they don't have, like, the most money ever. Um, He comes to her and, like, lets her know that he's been laid off. And he says this line that he's like, this isn't the life that I promised you. There's no magic in it kind of a thing. And she's like, our daughters are literally, like, the magic in our life. Like, what are you talking about? Also, too, I think it's, like, she comes from this, like, rich, extravagant background, and all she ever wanted was, like, like, she, her dreams were, like, him and, like, his imagination. Like, that's what she loves about him. Whereas, so, like, for her, she's, like, you gave me these children. They're full of creativity, imagination, and, like, us together. Like, also the way he interacts with his little girls, like, you can tell, like, he's a good father, and so, like, she is, like, content, but he's not because he's always, as they will say later, nothing will ever be enough. Right. So, it is one of his daughter's birthdays. They obviously don't have a lot of money, so he, like, puts together this cute, like, little light thing, like, in A Million Dreams when he was um, a kid, and, um, like, spins around this little thing, so it looks like a bunch of stars spinning around them, and, and it's a wish machine, so it's cute, because they all, like, wish for different things, and the, the daughter whose birthday it is wishes for ballet slippers, which I only mentioned because that will come up later, <laughs> and then we get a reprise of A Million Dreams, and the daughters are singing it this time, and it's very precious, and they're cute little kid voices. Very sweet. And then as they're singing it, and the light is still spinning around them he's like watching and and then like like circus animals start like appearing in the lights i feel like this is another like thread moment of like getting an idea for the circus here and then we move on to the bank he's waiting in line um to get a loan for an adventure and the circus idea that he just had at the end of the last number this is another moment that i hate 
because um i hate like like we were just talking about how he like they point out him noticing people that are different um like the lady at the beginning and so he sees charles sitting in a chair and is just like staring at him rather rudely um i don't remember what charles says but he like quips something really like sarcastic to him something like what are you staring at like something like that yeah rightfully so because he's just staring at him and then this right after this whole exchange where he's like staring at this little person he goes in and pitches this idea and the first thing he says is like people are fascinated with the exotic and the macabre like no (laughs) again it's that thing of like we're framing this so weirdly and it's like I mean I think that is how it was though like let's be real that's probably how this came about is like um 1870s you know they're like oh let's entertain some people what can we do let's have freak shows you know like literally I mean you're right like that is definitely like of the time how people looked at these things but I think it's also, like, modern lens now, right? Like, we can look at this and say, yes, that's how it was, but it's also fucked up, right? Yeah, right. oh, for sure, for sure. So then he is trying to get this loan. He lies about collateral for the bank. Mm-hmm. He uses some um, deed from his job that he just got laid off from for all of the ships that just sank. That's why his job closed. Um, like, basically all of the ships that the company like had for like inventory or whatever, like sank at the bottom of the ocean. So he used the deeds for that as collateral. Yeah, and he collateral. stole the deeds also. Let's just. Oh yeah. Just... Like he stole them on the way out. So he got a loan for $10,000. Which in those days, like how much money is that? $10,000 is $226,084 and 73 cents. So like a $200,000 loan. But you know, like I, you can see it in charity's face. Like he has $10,000 and she's like, what are you gonna do with it and like he has this circus idea he like takes him to the circus building and is like showing off like all the dead things in the museum they walk inside and like the face kind of freezes but you know you could use this loan to create like a real business venture that would actually support your family uh instead of like taking a giant gamble on a museum of i will say that i feel like this moment of him him like choosing to obviously like the times are different but I think it's interesting because later in the movie Charity says we always did it together but for me this was a precursor like foreshadowing of like no he made a lot of executive decisions without running things by you first yeah. and like uh like not a great financial decision because like as we see I'm sure you're about to say but like it does not do well like, his wife is like concerned wife about paying their loan back. She's like, you know we have to pay that back, right? And he's like, we will, it'll be fine. But it's not. Like, people aren't coming. They sold three tickets. And they were the tickets she bought. Like, the museum is just not working out. And so he's tucking his kids into bed, like, obviously bummed and concerned that this business venture is not happening. And his kids are like, Daddy, you need something alive in your museum. Something that isn't stuffed, like a mermaid or a unicorn um and he's like hmm, what a good idea and then he's like sitting at his desk and he sees this apple this fucking apple and it's a call back to the beginning and he's like now i will find people who are different and exploit them in my museum that is my business venture <laughs> amazing is it problematic a thousand percent did it work 
Also, yes. I mean, we don't see that it works yet. Like, we got the, we got to build up to that, but we know that it does. So then he goes to find people to put on display, essentially, at his museum. Um, yikes. Uh, so the first person he goes and finds is Charles, the man that he saw at the bank, um, who is a little person. And he goes to his mom, and she, like, flat out denies even, like, having Charles as a son. And then he's like, but I know that you do. And so she lets him in. And he finds him and, like, tries to sell him on this this idea of uh, being, like, General Tom Thumb, right? That's his, like, showman name. Um, and he says, you want people to laugh at me. Like, he won't go with him. And then oh, I have this quote, he too. says back, they're laughing anyway, kids, so you might as well get paid. I literally, that, I literally wrote that quote and then I said, what a dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is not the hot take that you think it is, PT. Like, you're literally spitting this and manipulating this poor man. If I was in this this guy's shoes, um, I would be like, fuck off. Leave me alone. Like, what the fuck? But the way he spun it worked. Like, he kind of manipulated him, and he, like, bought into the idea. So next he goes and finds the bearded woman. Bearded lady. Um, and- She's bearded called lady. the bearded, bearded lady. Sorry. It's a classic quip and then um he goes through a few more acts um the next person to join that stood out to me was um i just put zendaya and the and her brother her name is ann wheeler ann wheeler and her brother is wd perfect i just saw zendaya and my i was taking notes and my brain only was like zendaya um, so Anne and her brother WD, and they are in acrobatic group, group, duo. And then we also see like a man covered in his whole body with tattoos. We get a nice fun joke with that, um, where he's like, it's something about like, and they're over your whole body. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I don't need to see it. <laughs> I just thought yeah. that was funny. <laughs> and then like the last one, and maybe the last one in this moment, but the last one that stood out to me was this extremely tall man um who was very clearly like russian i think and then he's like no you're irish now and i was like is this supposed to be funny? he was clearly not irish yeah oh a thousand percent but like i feel like it was supposed to be a joke you know what i, I bet it is it's like the opposite of being like a leprechaun oh my god you're right yeah i think so actually this is our theory this is a theory again this podcast is our opinions None of this podcast is pure fact. It's all opinion-based and through our perspective lenses. We do our best. We move on to Come Alive. Um, This poster transition at the top is cool uh, when he drops them all with all of his circus acts. And then we're like, this whole number sets up Barnum's new show and what it was like for people to just come and stare at other humans and pay money to do that. Okay, Um, but you do have to admit this number is magical. Oh, no, I think it's really good. You can feel the energy. And and they're very good. (sighs) Patrick and Paul just do such a good job of like... With their music building the energy in this show. I- this obviously, it's it's hard to like be on display and like people are like protesting the show. Like having people who are visibly different in a lot of ways out in the open is not going well for general society that would prefer those people to stay hidden away. So there's lots of protesting and tearing down P.T. Barnum's troupe. 
And so I do appreciate that he's like working hard to encourage them throughout the summer that they are more worthy than the way that other people see them. Like they are. And a lot of the, a lot of the lyrics are like that. Like um, I did write out this lyric from Come Alive. You believe the lie that you need to hide your face. Don't you let it stay that way. Okay. So like, there's a lot of like, he, a lot of the lyrics like are very like empowering, like you don't need to like hide away from like being who, who you really are. Another reason I think this is very impactful for me. Um, lots of reasons, but I just like really see this through. Like I watched this with my, I don't know that I like watched it with my family for the first time, but like, I just feel a lot of like, um, I reminisce on a lot of like things that I, I think like my family members relate to from this show because like, my little sister was very young when this came out and like she loved this show like it was like a huge like uh, she loved it so much so I just like always think about that too yeah um also during this number we see that obviously Barnum is getting a lot of bad press because people don't like this uh so he takes this newspaper review that is like tearing down his circus and is like publish it everywhere and like tell people to come see it for themselves and like just spins the bad press so we get to see more of that, like, showmanship and, like, being, like, a good businessman. And he so, embraces like, being called a circus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this the number yeah. where, yeah, we, the, like, we establish this as a circus now. And then this Mr. <laughs> – I wrote in my notes. I miss his name. He works for the Herald, but I missed that. And I wrote, who is this Mr. Herald person? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, Mr. Bennett. <laughs> he works for the Herald. <laughs> I got it. Um, but he's got a giant ass stick up his butt. But I love this moment when um, he's he's the critic that like called it a circus. And then like PT is like, thanks for the name. And then it says PT Barnum Circus on the building. I thought that was so good. So now PT has some money from his very popular and successful circus. And he has gone back and bought the house that we saw in A Million Dreams that him and Charity explored as children at the beginning of the movie. Um, but now it is, like, beautiful inside. It's not falling apart and old. It's been, like, fully renovated. And then it, they're, like, taking in this giant, beautiful house because they're living in this, like, falling apart apartment. And he gets this gift for his daughter, and he got her the ballet slippers that she wished for at the beginning of the movie. It's so sweet. So then I believe Charity, I didn't write who the she is, but I assume Charity and not one of the daughters is trying to make this like sweet point as he's like showing off all the things that they now have because they have wealth. She's like, we don't need all these things to be happy. Like, yes. like I just yeah. want you and, and us and like our family. But he's just like really proud of having money and success like he's always wanted and never had before and like is getting all the things that like he wants for their life which is going to become problematic <laughs> later. Um, but his daughter, so then we transition to his daughter actually like dancing um, at the, her little ballet recital. And she's so good. She's like in the front row, like in the middle. Honestly, like, yes. I think she's the best one of all of them. I mean, that's probably like intentionally done. Like, yeah. by well, the they director, say that too later. They say like, he literally says, you were the best of all of them. Of course, she doesn't believe them because that's her dad, whatever. But the reason she doesn't believe him, she gets upset because all these little girls that are on stage with her start being mean to her. They're being a bully um, because her dad runs the circus. And so they're, like, making fun of her that, like, she's not in, like, the same, 
like class or social standing as them. Yeah, they make some comment about like peanut shells. Like, oh, she smells like peanuts. Like, what the fuck? Also, yeah, it. I mean, it's really just a class thing because like they don't come yeah, from money just... like everyone else, and yeah, it's just sad to see in like these little like what nine year old girls that it's that ingrained already. Like, um, so we see that, and it's really sad. And his daughter's like, "I'm never gonna dance again," and it just like breaks your heart a bit. And then we see Zach Efron. He's here. PT sees him and is like, I need this person on my side. And so he goes and finds him. He's a producer. It took me a minute to catch on to what he did. I missed that at his initial introduction as a character. Um, and so he's producing a play right now. They just mentioned something about his play when they first introduced him. And I was like, is he an actor? That doesn't make sense. So Barnum is like, let me buy you a drink. I want to like expand my audience to the snobs kind of a thing. It's my favorite number. Okay. I say that about all the numbers, but Hey, I just want to point out like this point forward is I, I really feel like we've set the foundation for it, but Barnum starts to really go astray from his... Uh, original purpose for all of this and for like the people that got him to where he is because he becomes focused on appealing to the elite and it causes problems going forward he really has already achieved those dreams like he has this like successful circus now all he cares about is that like he's not being seen as like the same class as all these other people people don't have the same respect for him even though he's like this self-made businessman but it's not a respectable yeah. business, so, quote-unquote. And even if it were a respect- respectable business in that time, it wouldn't matter. He wasn't born into money, right. so they would it's never have accepted him. He, like, loses sight of all of that to try to appeal to these people. Um, so he invites Zach. I'm, I'm sorry. I refer to Philip Carlisle. as Efron for most of this. Um, and I'm just going Carlisle. to stick with it for most of it. So... Emma does not like this uh, idea. You cannot see her face, but I got a look. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a lot. I feel like a lot of people don't actually know the names of the characters, so it's fine. When it's the the really famous ones, no, yeah, they're just like Zac Efron and Daya and Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Yeah. um, we're not going to do that for Hugh Jackman. What? I feel like for Hugh Jackman, we know his name is P.T. Barnum. Right. Yes. Right. Um, Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he invites Zach Efron to join the circus and he's like, I'd be risking everything, status, money, whatever. And then they just like shoot a shot and start the next song. <laughs> the whole point of this song, plot wise, is to explain to um, Philip Carlyle why he should join PT in, in like funding the circus and be his producer. PT thinks if I get in good with Carlyle, with Zach Efron, they're going to respect me. That's what I think. But then PT is like, but look at all the things that you could get if you did this. Like, do you know what it's like to have like real joy and like happiness and whatever? Um, And like, that's honestly the selling point for him. So can we just take a moment? Did you did you count how many shots they took throughout this song? I lost count. Every time, every time I watch this, I try to count. Um, My number and the number that I Googled were different. They take eight shots. Eight shots of whiskey? Yeah, they're fucked up after that. (sighs) Wow. And so he's joined... By the end of the number, Carlisle has agreed to join PT as a partner. Do you remember the percentage they ended up settling on? Was it 10? 10%. Which is not a lot. 
but not at all which is interesting because carlisle was like so against it at the beginning of the number and he was like i think he's just like kind of realizing like i want more for my life and speaking of wanting more he goes back to the circus and then he sees zendaya practicing her uh trapeze act and they make really really beautiful eye contact um he's like yeah instantly smitten with her yeah yeah, and he does, he's like, who is that? And I think, I think we get a little tiny, like, the music, everything just, like, slows down when they make eye contact, and we get a little moment of Rewrite the Stars, which is the duet they sing later. Oh, uh, we get a line no. of that before we go back into, like, fast motion. I thought that was really cool. Yes. And then, like, after that, he, like, meets them, actually. Yeah. Yes. So, did you notice? Anne looks him up and down. <laughs> she, like, gives him a little, like... I did notice her brother is, like... Well, he's just, like, standing there, like, don't fuck with this. He went into, like, protective big brother mode. <laughs> PT gives this look when, like, Anne and Philip are making eye contact of, like, oh, he definitely, like, is, like, falling in love yeah. with her. <laughs> so, yeah, we have this really cute interaction between Philip and Anne, and then also WD. I almost said DW, like, that cartoon oh my god like arthur and he's like watching Anne walk away or something and then like just runs right into him and it was very funny so after this moment everybody is kind of like sitting around pt's reading some newspaper reviews that are not good that are dragging him down and he's like upset about it because now he's trying to appeal to these snobby people and then zendaya literally like calls sorry Anne literally calls him out uh because he's been super fine with the negative press till now um but like like we said he's losing his original focus of all of this because he's trying to appeal to these people and she's like this has never bothered you before um and now he's trying to like fit in and so i think i love that she calls him out here in this moment and so as we're like sitting in this moment of like realizing that like he's shifting his focus here and like everybody's trying to like kind of see how they feel about that carlisle comes in with an invitation for pt and the troop to sing for Queen Victoria of England. Some big important things here. First one related to this movie. Um, they cut over to Anne and her brother, and she asks if they're all invited. And Carlisle says, well, it's either all of us or none of us, um, which I think is very sweet. Also keep in mind, once again, guys, this movie takes place... Well, I, okay, slavery was abolished earlier in the UK, but um, five years after slavery was abolished in the u.s so like super valid question and concern because even if they were like invited that doesn't mean that they're going to be treated well at all and so exactly i think it's sweet that carla i mean carlisle's also head over heels in love with Anne. i mean he's smitten it's so cute he's like we're all going or none of us are going because he wants to go with her (laughs) now another thing that is real life things that happen did you know that pt barnum actually met the queen in real life yes I did know that. I read that. That's all I read, though. Okay, well, it wasn't all of them. He only took Tom Thumb with him, which is Charles. Fun fact, Charles in real life was six years old when they went to meet the queen. When he took Charles from his mother, he was four. (gasps) So he had, like, a baby. He had a literal toddler. Okay, major exploitation. I didn't realize that he was four yeah that's crazy 
And guys, this is like the least of the bad things that the real P.T. Barnum did. Okay, guys? And you know, the real P.T. Barnum did not give a four-year-old all the things he needed to like be a happy, thriving child. Honestly, my heart's breaking. That's so sad. I know. So uh, back from the sad real life ramifications of this to the movie that, again, twists it and makes it much less problematic. The entire troop are all thrilled to go see the Queen of England. It's very cute. And they arrive at Buckingham Palace to perform for the Queen or to like meet the Queen. Of course, the royals are snobby and rude and like shocked that all of these people are like invading their fancy space. Also, what's really sad about this scene is that um he makes them all come in costume and like especially Anne Wheeler's costume she's in a fucking leotard like Zendaya she's in a leotard and she like does a she looks so uncomfortable like so uncomfortable and you notice Carlisle noticing that oh a thousand percent she's like hiding in the corner behind people and and like yeah I mean she's kind of like exposed a little bit like it's different when you're like wearing a leotard as part of like your performance but she's just like Every other woman in this room is in, like, a full floor-length gown, and she's, like, in a leotard. Like, that's gotta be uncomfortable. So, uh, the next, like, major thing that happens is Jenny Lind enters, the gorgeous opera singer. Someone says, I didn't write down who, the most famous performer in all of Europe, which immediately stands out to PT, because he is trying to assert himself in these fancy people circles. And he's like, how can I exploit this as part of my act to make money and and gain acceptance? Whether or not that's said, you know that's where his brain is going. So he's like annoying AF and just inserts himself into greeting her, which is like also like rude in America in in these times. But like, I feel like a no-no in like court. Like that's like you have to have someone introduce you in court that like knows both parties. I think this is kind of like... a show of his like lower class is like either that or it's like he just does not give a fuck i think it's a little of both so then he has this very flirty interaction with her that i do not like because he is married to the sweetest woman in the world i i didn't personally see this as like flirty this is just him being a businessman he's schmoozing with her like he wants to get her on board you know I feel like he did the same thing with Carlisle agree agree to disagree I think he's flirting with her to charm her because he wants to use her I don't know if the I don't think based on later when certain things happen and how he reacts I don't think that he's flirting with her to like start anything necessarily but I think he knows flirting her will flatter her He's a master at spinning shit. He's a showman. So he just gets this idea in the middle of this conversation and wants to bring Jenny Lind to New York to make her the most famous singer in the entire world. Not just Europe, the whole world. Um, and then she says, and have you heard me sing? And he says, no. I love that part. I think it's hilarious. I love how Carlisle is like, absolutely. And he's like, no. And again, it's that thing of like, he doesn't care like what people think. Um, so then he starts making big ass promises to her about like singing and like starts spinning angles for the press of how he could make this work. And she asks him why me? And he says he wants to give people something real at his show, which I feel like is an insult to his entire troupe. Oh, 100% is an insult. At the same time, they show that he exaggerates a lot for his acts. Like, yeah. He has, like, the super tall guy go on stilts and, like, 
the like man who's like whatever like what like 400 pounds he says he's like 700 pounds or something like you know he like over exaggerates everything but I still think that that was like yeah totally a huge insult so now we've moved on to we're in the opera house he's brought Jenny Lynn to New York we're gonna hear her sing and he's got his wife and his kids and they're dressed up all cute and Carlisle comes in and is like you know all the performers are here like his his circus troupe where are we gonna put him and he has them go to standing room which shocks Carlisle too he's like what he's like trying to elevate his status with this performance so he's like oh why are they here like I don't want them here yeah I will okay we gotta take a moment though Zendaya's dress in this scene stunning it's a butterfly on the bodice it's beautiful the costuming in this in this movie is amazing actually I'm like 99 percent sure that she won awards for this the costume designer oh good she should have honestly just beautiful and so jenny lind is getting ready to sing we're getting ready to move into the next song never enough and then right before this big number he makes some like joke about his theater troupe like doesn't he say something like this is not like another sideshow yes and like everybody laughs but then they like cut over to like the troupe and they're all obviously and rightfully insulted and then we just move on to her singing um so this is Jenny Lynn's big number. We get to like see this opera singer in action. And this is where I have some qualms. I think the song is beautiful. I know, I know, I know. This is a pop musical, pop genre. But this is like, she, she's an opera singer. And so I personally just would have loved if the song she sang had a slightly different feel. Like if it felt slightly more classical or operatic, like not like full on, like we don't need a full shift in genre. And I think part of the reason it feels so, like it feels like almost like it's a disassociative moment for me. Cause you're like, everything building up to this is that she's this incredible opera singer. And then we get this incredibly auto-tuned, pop voice yeah that's fair um one thing I will say that when they hired Pasek and Paul for this show they specifically told them they're like this is not a musical this is not or this is not a Broadway show they're like this is a pop musical you need to write pop numbers basically so no I agree with you it isn't really opera and I love this song. Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, One thing that I do have to say, whenever I would watch this with my little sister, she would make fun of um, her hand movements. Her hand movements? Oh my God, that was the one thing that bothered me. No, the, the hand movements were a little off, but it's fine. So in the midst of this song, uh, Carlisle and Anne have this moment while Jenny is singing and he like reaches over and grabs her hand and it's very sweet. The way he grabs it is really awkward because like both their hands are facing forward and he like reaches over and like interlocks their knuckles, but it's not like how you would normally interlock your hands. Yeah, it's like a weird handhold. It's odd. Yeah, they're like holding hands really awkwardly, but it doesn't last for long because some snobby rich people notice them doing it and they start whispering and then he gets self-conscious and he drops her hand and then she gets upset and it's like, asshole. Yeah, he, yeah. I was so fucking pissed at this moment. I'm like, you fucking coward. In this fictional world, <laughs> I mean... There's still a lot of hate in this fictional world, so. This is also true. So we have this moment between the two of them where he's, like, ashamed of, like, what people are thinking about him and he lets go of Anne's hand. Um, And then he's probably ashamed of the fact that he let go of her hand because 
Cream loves her. Ugh, this man. Anyways, uh, Jenny Lynn gets a standing ovation from the entire theater, including Mr. Bennett, the stubborn theater. Uh, the humbug. Yeah, that like hates the circus. Um, and so we move on to an after party. Um, I'm going to kind of gloss over this. The biggest thing that happens in it is like Charity's parents show up and they've never met their grandkids. Uh, which is shocking and there's like a pissing contest between Charity's dad and PT and he kicks them out in front of everyone and Charity was rightfully upset and embarrassed yeah and so she leaves yeah and then opera singer and him bond yeah they have a, a bonding moment about feeling left out in places of wealth and privilege and then after that moment, the, the theater troupe shows up to the party to like have some drinks and have fun before their evening show. And he literally won't let them in. He won't let them mingle. Shuts them out. Yeah. And kicks them out. Cue, this is me. Um, the one song I knew super well before watching this movie because it was all over the radio. So the bearded lady uh, leads this number. It's her big, her big solo and everyone joins her. Um, and she, you know, they, they all sing about how they're unashamed about who they are. Like, this is, this is me. This is who I am. And they barge out of the party past all the fancy people. This is, this is brave. This is bruised. This is who I'm meant to be. This is me. <laughs> so, um, as they're singing this song, there's some intense eye contact from, um, uh, Anne to Carla. Yeah, they move to the big stage and like, she is like glaring him down. She is like, fuck you because okay also as she's doing like this like stare down with him it's the words i make no apologies this is me yeah no that was super intentional and i love it a lot so this number ends they go back to the circus they do it they're they're not ashamed of who they are all of that and then next day uh pt and his producer carlisle are discussing the fact that he wants to go on tour with jenny lind and he took out a loan to fund this tour and is basically risking everything that he's created in new york and um carlisle is like calling him out for this he's like your attention is divided and like audiences are down more people are protesting now like they come to see you you're the unifying you're the unifying factor of this and you're leaving and he notes you're not going to make profit until the 40th show, right? Yeah, something like that. He said 41st. He got really snarky. He's like, I've already done the math. Yep. So then he makes, PT makes a joke and then cuts out to go live out his midlife crisis. And Carlisle just like watches in frustration. And then uh, um, the bearded lady says, don't you have somewhere to be? And he runs away. And I was like, where the, f- where the fuck is he going? He's going on a date with Anne. Yeah, but Anne doesn't fucking know it. <laughs> Again? Anne's dress in this scene okay let's just once again that like green I don't know it was it was really pretty and so yeah Anne doesn't know he she's like I need a ticket um it's from like P.T. Barnum or whatever and he's like there's two and she's like well that's weird I'm alone and then in Pops Carlisle he's like I wasn't sure you'd come if I asked um and so she like hesitantly agrees to like go with him and they like she's like grabs his arm or like holds his hand or something and they they go to walk into the show together and immediately run into his parents um this time he's not backing down like he doesn't let go of her he doubles down uh but his parents are dicks to her and to him and she leaves understandably i mean it's so shitty like it's so shitty yeah so then he stands up for her to his parents because she's like she's like this is not your or like this like you do you know your place or something? I don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, and he's like, well, I don't want a part of this. Like, I don't want to be in this hoity-toity, fucked up community of people who, like, don't approve of me being with the love of my life. So he goes after her because she's left and to comfort her. And he finds her back at the circus. And he asks her, what do you care what they think? And then they start rewrite the stars. First of all, what do you care what they think? Carlisle, you are a privileged white man. You are saying this to a black woman (laughs) in 18 fucking 70. You're not going to see any repercussions. She is. She is. Yeah. So basically she's saying that. She's like, you don't understand this. Like I face this every day of my life. Cue my favorite song. Rewrite the stars. You want to take it away here? So, um, rewrite the stars. First of all, Zendaya and Zac Efron did all these stunts. I know. Zendaya literally learned like how to trapeze for this number. Like, well, for the whole movie, but like mainly for this number. Incredible. Basically, they're singing like we can rewrite the. He's like, let's rewrite the stars. Like, live out our dream. We love each other. And she's like, dude, you don't fucking get it the whole time. My favorite moment from this song is the first refrain Zac Efron's falsetto what if we rewrite the stars the literally sends chills through my body I love it and I did have a a small crush on this couple for a bit okay based on this song like I said Zac Efron's like no longer my type um I'm not into like the like buff guys but he does have beautiful eyes so I think that's really what it was that is my favorite moment from this song and in college when it first came out I like went into I was like obsessed I was listening to the song on repeat as you do with your favorite songs you know especially show I don't know if you do this but like on repeat and I I like said something in class about like oh my god Zac Efron's falsetto when he sings rewrite the stars and so my teacher was like okay play it for us and I played it and they were like that was a letdown and I was like guys I didn't they were like I thought it was gonna be a belt and I was like I said his falsetto they didn't know what falsetto meant so basically like you said the song kind of ends where the whole time he's like let's rewrite the stars let's let's be in love together who cares what people think and she's like dude we literally can't like I wish we could but we can't and so it it kind of ends like that of like I want like she's like I want to be with you but it's just not going to work she leaves him alone in the circus ring um and so then we cut from that very bittersweet moment because we like get this beautiful moment of coming together and we like hope that it's gonna work out but we know it's not their faces are close together I actually have a screenshot I can send you that I took in this moment. Honestly, like, I want to frame this picture in my... No, I'm kidding. Um, That would be weird. So we cut to a different kind of bittersweet moment. PT is getting ready to leave for tour, and Charity is like, what are you doing? She finally, like, thank God she called... Not, like, finally, but thank God, like, we see her calling him out. Like, he's looking for more and more and more, and nothing is enough for him. And she's like, why are you doing this? And he's like, I'm doing it for the kids. And she's like, but we have every... Like, they have what they need. Like, what they need is you to be here. And it's just so obvious he's, like, doing this for himself. And then he goes to leave. He meets Jenny Lind in the carriage. 
and his kids they leave he doesn't even look back doesn't wave at them and they're like like crying and screaming they run after him oh i know and she starts her beautiful song tightrope yes we move into tightrope i love that charity gets a voice because a lot of musicals wouldn't have given her character like a perspective on this Yes. And her beautiful, like, powder blue dress with the pink scarf. I want to recreate that moment um, someday in my life. And you watch, like, them moving on as he's gone, and they're, like, all sad without him. Like, um, uh, Caroline, right, has a dance recital, and he's not there. And um, Charity's, like, dancing through their home, and, like, it's, like, a silhouette, and it's the two of them, and then she, like, crosses through one of the windows, and he's not there, and it's just, like... It gives me chills thinking about it. You just, you just see how, like, how much his absence is impacting them, and it just kind of breaks your heart. Yeah, and then, and then he's out there. Oh, and they, throughout this song, they show clips of him on the tour with her. Right. Not giving a shit. Like, not even looking sad once. He's, like, schmoozing it with Jenny. She's falling asleep on his shoulder. She's falling in love with him, I think, which is not good. Also, this really bothered me. That plotline really bothered me because that is not true to, um, not that, like, most of this is true to, like, fact, but that didn't, that's not why she left the tour in um, in real life. Do you know why she left to in real life? She didn't like how she was being marketed because she donated all of her proceeds. So like Jenny Lind, all of the money she made from this, she donated a charity. Like it was all for her to donate. Like, cause I think she had a lot of money somehow. I think she was like married to somebody wealthy. I don't know. Maybe she, okay. in real life, she came from money. They changed the story up, but she donated all her money to charity and he like continued to market her in a way that she didn't agree upon and on top of that that's not this is not what actually put him into ruin there was some other deal that he made that actually is what put him into like major debt but but yes like you said she does leave the tour so how we get there is um no, it's okay. I just want to, like, whoop in how we get there. Um, so at the end of December, yeah, we see, like, Ginny is kind of, like, falling in love with him. He's just having a blast on tour, like, living his wildest dreams. And before Ginny's supposed to go on for one of her performances, they're, like, in her dressing room together alone. Haha. <laughs> um, and she kind of, like, they're, like, chatting, and she kind of makes a bit of a move. And he's, like... I need to leave. Like, it finally, like, clicks for him, I guess, that, like, yeah, she, like, I don't want to say, like, have a crush, but I mean, I, I mean, guess. Yeah, I guess he was, like, was he not processing that she liked him? Maybe he was ignoring it because it wasn't a problem until now. Or I really think this man loves his wife. I think that he's blinded by, like, a need for success. Yes, I agree. I don't think the thought to, like, cheat on her ever crossed his mind. Yeah, I think he is just blinded by, like, Oh, I could be rich and famous. Yeah. That's all that matters to him. And status. So then he rightfully is like shuts it down. And then she says, and like be, she gets offended and is like, I'm just another one of your little acts. And I'm like, which also that I hate, hate that she can't 
like that this character they they put her in the light of like oh i was just doing this because i liked you like fuck that i don't but also like yes you are another one of his acts and i feel like that was made very clear from the moment he met you like did you really think that he would cheat on his wife for you like like you thought you're gonna get a romance from a married man like i just she was just so misguided yeah for sure. And then her final performance. Crying over a man she could never have because he's fucking married. <laughs> it's like, babe, you knew he was married with children. Right. So then she finishes the song crying and this is her last show, whatever. Um, And he comes out on stage. I guess he does this every time to like show her off and be like, I'm a part of this, whatever. Like, let's bow. Right. And so they're taking pictures and she grabs him and kisses him. And the press what snaps the a photo. And he's like, what is that for? And she was like, this is goodbye. Which again, he's obviously pissed. We have to give him that. Yeah. But I think it does show that it all got to his head so much that like he wasn't paying attention to like, yeah, the things that, yeah. He had no idea what was going on around him in his life. He was so inward focused. Like no yeah. fucking clue. So PT leaves the tour and goes home. Um, meanwhile, as all this has been happening, we've seen a bit of his personal life. Carlisle, uh, on the business side, has been trying to keep the circus going. He's been promoting it and trying to protect everyone from the protesters. And it's just, they're not making the same kind of money, bringing in the same crowds. Um, and protesters stay around after this show. And they're planning to, like, beat up the performers. And so Zendaya's, (laughs) Zendaya's brother, um, Anne's brother, uh, comes in and, um... Throws the first punch, essentially, to these bullies. Well, aren't they... I feel like something happens for him to throw the first punch. Oh, yeah. They're, like, insulting them. They're... Okay. Yeah. They say something. Like, he didn't just throw the first punch out of the blue, to be clear. Like, they were being dicks. And it was clear that this was not going to end well. And so, like, all of them come out and start fighting these protesters. And then one of the protesters... Um, grabs a lantern and throws it into a, like a pile of like straw in the corner and the circus catches on fire. So at the same time as the circus is burning down, uh, we get a great metaphor for how PT's life, uh, personal life with his family is also about to burn down. Um, and so he get, he's left the tour, reunited with his family, and then like a fire truck with pulled by a horse like not like a real truck comes by and they're like the the circus is on fire so they go they all run down the street and get to the circus and they're pulling everyone out and make sure everyone everyone got out and they can't find Anne. so philip runs back inside to find Anne, and then Anne comes running from outside in an opposite direction the scene is so dramatic and heart-wrenching i actually did cry the first time i saw it i get very attached to fictional characters i teared up later uh when she's like holding his hand but i'm getting ahead of we're getting ahead of ourselves Anne comes running back from the opposite direction and philip is inside the burning building so then pt is like shit i'm gonna have to go get him and he like looks at charity and they just like exchange this glance where like they both know he's about to go do this risky thing and so then he runs into the building to try to save philip and then the building literally collapses (gasps) yeah everybody is panicking oh no did they die like what happened and then pt full pulls philip out and he's like burned and like breathing a lot of smoke but he's alive so they take him to the hospital and we cut to the hospital anna's like holding philip's hand and crying and this is where i cried 
um she's like singing rewrite the stars to him but she's like crying and she's doing it in this like little whisper voice and it's like it is. coming out and i was just like okay this got me so beautiful it was just so heartbreaking it was and i cried in this moment too and god those beautiful eyes oh wait not yet we're getting there and so uh, we cut back to the circus uh, the next day, PT's outside. They're like cleaning it up. It's completely burned to the ground. And I wrote in my notes, I'm waiting for the photos to drop of him kissing the lady singer. Um, I was waiting for that moment. Um, so Mr. Bennett comes and sits with Barnum outside of the remnants of the circus. And he tells him that he didn't like his show much, but he appreciated that people of all kinds were on stage with him and he presented them as equals as a celebration of humanity. And so I do love that. I love that specific phrasing. And I think that this is what the movie has been trying to do all along. And I think at the beginning was like kind of the point of the way that they pulled in those two really awkward introductions to characters. I don't think it was done well at the beginning of the movie specifically, but I think that's been the point all along. And so I like like specifically calling it out here. And then Mr. Bennett says that he hopes he rebuilds, which I think is cute. He's coming around a little bit. I know, because the whole time he's been kind of a jerk, you know, like kind of looking down on the circus. But he's like, you know what? I do have high hopes for you, yeah. Then here comes the paper, and it says Barnum Scandal, and has a picture of him and Jenny Lind kissing. And then we cut to Barnum running home to his wife, smart man, um, and Charity's packing her bags and leaving him. Yeah, she's like, fuck this, fuck you. Exactly, and I mean, I get it. Like, it's not his fault, but, like, she has a point that, like, she says, like, the only person he seems to be, like, in love with or obsessed with is, like, himself. And, like, it's true. And this is kind of like a wake-up moment for him. Um, He's like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm going home. And he's like, this is your home. And she's like, not anymore. The bank is evicting us. We don't have money. Like, why didn't you tell me this is where we were at? Like, we used to do everything together. And now you're doing it all on your own. And so it's just like this really sad moment where you just see for him where he's dropped the ball. Like, it finally kind of clicks for him. Took long enough god this entire fucking movie so now barnum is sad drinking at the bar because his wife left him and he lost his home and charles joins him and calls him out for it he says you're out here feeling sorry for yourself (laughs) which is exactly what he's doing and then all the rest of the circus troupe comes in and join him and they're basically like even though you're a fraud you made us a family like a real family (laughs) so we want our home back you should give that to us don't give up now um so now we move to from now on i think this is a cool song i like it barnum is like having some self-reflection and like i i wrote it's cute because like he's lost everything but it like i mean it sucks for everyone else that it affects but for him as the character it leads him back to the people who were the foundation for everything that he had i wrote back to his roots i guess so he like rallies the troops kind of and then sprints off i wrote to go somewhere i was so confused about why he got on the train (laughs) oh my god <laughs> to find his wife i didn't really see how to get on a train to find her yeah i know i felt like that was really random like i thought he lived down the road at his old house the whole time yeah like why did we get on a train we all thought he lived down the road so now we're we're back into the hospital with carlisle and Anne. and carlisle wakes up in the hospital and Anne is just so happy to see him and they finally kiss this is what i've been wanting the whole time this is the moment where we see those beautiful zac efron eyes and I just, that is just beautiful to me. 
No, it's sweet. They also, like, as they're making out, the, like, camera pans out, and there's, like, a doctor in the background that is like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, everybody's like, uh... You're just making out in a hospital bed. Well, I'm sure there's some other layered factors in that, too. absolutely. (laughs) There are other (laughs) layered factors into that. Obviously. It's 1870. Uh, you can't see our faces, but we are annoyed. We continue... I'm trying to move us along, y'all. I know this has been a while. We're, We're getting close to the end. Um, PT goes back, finds Charity. Well, he goes to, um, her family's house, and her dad answers the door, much like at the beginning of the movie, and has a smug look on his face and won't tell him where his wife is. And his kids run downstairs, and they're like, she's on the beach! So he goes to the beach for the... Also, as kids, um, they, like, connected for the first time. And she looks stunning. Can we talk about how gorgeous she looks? Again, beautiful. Revenge dress <laughs> vibes. And so he finally apologizes for his dumb shit and that he wouldn't listen to her. And they sing together and he, like, says from now on he's going to put her first. Um, and, like, their family. And they, like, kiss and make up. So we cut from this moment to going back to the burned down circus. And, like, the troop is there and Barnum is there. Uh, is his wife there? I can't remember. I don't know if that matters, but he's like, the bank won't loan me any more money, so I can't rebuild. If you're looking for a paycheck, he literally says that, I feel like, right? Something like that. Dude. Well, then he says, I'm really sorry to disappoint you all. And then Charles says, we're used to it by now. Yeah, I loved that. As we're all like kind of sitting there, Philip, we're all as if I'm there too. Um, Philip uh, offers to help rebuild the circus if they can be partners 50-50. And Barnum, like, pauses. I'm like, dude, this is your only shot. What the fuck are you doing? And then he agrees. Well, well, because he's like, um, you are a shitty businessman, and I knew you weren't going to save your fucking money. Yeah. I knew you make risky business ventures, so I saved all my money. Which, go Carlisle. He was smart, yeah. And so they can't afford a building, so Barnum says, we don't need a building. All we need is a tent and buy some cheap land. <gasps> wow the right this is the birth of the circus tent you all and so now we're here the opening number we started with essentially same setting right we're in the tent it's like the greatest show and he's brought a show back better than ever and they're all uh singing singing songs i lost track of my notes so. they're singing this is the greatest show please cut out me singing <laughs> okay i can do that okay so they're singing this is the greatest show um Emma did a great demonstration, but she won't let me keep it for you all. We're seeing, like, the show, the singing, um, this is the greatest show. And then PT, he's, like, being the greatest showman. He comes off stage, uh, out of the ring, I guess. It's not, like, a stage. Passes his baton to Philip, and Philip's like, what? He's like, basically, I'm gonna go be a good dad. Literally passing the baton! The literal passing of the baton. Wow. Right on the nose. Um, and so then Philip, this is just so cute. You can tell he's been waiting for this. He like just like rolls into the fucking ring and is like living his best life. And can we talk about how he's leading the show with Zendaya by his side? Yes! It's so cute. And they end the show kissing. They're like, we're in love. We're gonna show it off. And then PT rides a fucking elephant in the snow to his daughter's ballet concert. I don't think elephants are made for that. So that really bothers me. But again, I don't think we've established that this man thinks about those things so he rolls up on an elephant to his daughter's dance recital um actually gets to like watch her dance and be a present father and so we all end with the circus being rebuilt pt being a present father and supporting his kids and wife and philip running the circus and being in love with zendaya and they all live happily ever after (laughs) and then they had to ruin it 
with a quote from P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Which, the reason I say they ruined it is because, as we stated, um, this man was a fucking piece of shit. Um, And it felt like the quote was, like, to celebrate who Barnum was. And I'm like, yeah, we appreciate he brought the circus to life, okay? Like, cool. But do we, though? The circus itself is also a problematic concept. Okay, yes. But the idea of, like, you know, the celebration of all people or whatever. Like, I again, I agree that, like, really he was just trying to, like, profit off of exploitation. But, like, yeah, the quote at the end was, like, the noblest act is that of making others happy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but, like, you were not a noble man. You were concerned about lining your pockets. Yeah, he he just, I just didn't like that because I, I felt like in the end they really were, like, trying to, like, honor who Barnum was. And I was like, okay. No, I agree. Okay, Emma, now we move on. The culmination of this entire episode. Uh, we shall, because you weren't here last week, rate the musical out of 10. So I have a feeling I know what your rating will be, but you go first since you are. No, no, I need you to rate it first. You want me to go first? Okay. So I will say the like, if I had not watched this before this episode and just like gone off of what I remembered, which wouldn't work because I didn't remember much, um, I probably would have given it a 5 out of 10. Not joking. Well, that's actually higher than I would have expected. I thought you were going to do like three. Oh, no, it's just, like, it's, a, it's meh. It's just meh. After seeing it and, like, watching it, getting some more context for it, I would rate this a 7 out of 10. It grew on me. I really loved seeing Zendaya and Zac Efron play Anne and Philip. I liked the happily ever after ending. I thought it was cute. What's funny is I was going to say 7 out of 10. This is really because of all of the problematic shit we're scraping past, okay? But, like... I don't know this point system yet. <laughs> I like would want it to be 10 out of 10. Like I love, I love how magical and like imaginative and like you get to see their creativity coming to life. But yeah, I do think there are like definitely some like ick things or like, yeah, we're like celebrating a man who's a piece of shit. So between a seven and a nine, because okay. I don't, I, I feel like that's, like, a pretty... I, I can't give it a definite number. <laughs> okay, all right. We got a range between seven and nine. I like it. The, the source material was problematic, and maybe some of the ways yes. we went about presenting ideas within it is not the best, but overall, as a musical, you like the message. I loved... I love it. Yeah, and it has, like, sentimental value for you. It really does, yeah. yeah. Well, pal, so that's it for you today. Next week, we will be back. I'll be honest, I'm not entirely certain what we're going to be doing yet. I will post on Instagram what musical it is so you can watch along if you'd like. Please uh, like, share, subscribe, rate us five stars, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Musicals Reviewed, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining.